Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Kylie Gillies here with another episode of the Morning Show podcast. Coming up, funny man Merrick Watts on his tasty new role, mixing comedy and cuisine. Uh, the Wiggles are about to hit the road with a new tour. We'll catch up with Anthony and Simon. Todd McKenney and Beck Hewitt are in with a sneak peek of the new series of Dancing with the Stars, All Stars. And should you rent or buy. Finance editor Gemma Acton explains the pros and cons of each. But we start this episode with our exclusive chat with Meghan Markle's drama teacher, Gigi Perot. She's opened up about her most famous student. Well, before she was the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle had forged an impressive career for herself in Hollywood. But her passion for the arts began at an early age, at school. The young Meghan was a favourite during her high school plays under the guidance of her teacher, Gigi Perot. A Hollywood legend in her own right, Gigi was one of the first people to earn a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And now she couldn't be more proud of her most famous student. Let's say hello, Gigi Perot. Welcome to the show. Uh, your career started when you were just two years old. 85 credits later, why did you start, uh, decide to start teaching? Well, it, you know, it was interesting. My children were, were grown, and um, uh, it, it's just, it's an amazing way to give back. Um, I just felt I, I had an opportunity to, to teach at my alma mater, uh, Immaculate Heart High School. And um, as a result, it, it gave me a wonderful opportunity to, as I said, share, but also I learned a tremendous amount teaching. It's, it's incredible what you learn from young people if you just listen to them and hear what they have to say. You mentioned the Immaculate Heart High School where you taught for more than 20 years. Uh, this is, of course, where you met Meghan Markle. What was she like as a student? She was absolutely adorable. I mean, um, she, she, I, always, I always said she had a certain sparkle about her and um, uh, sparkle Markle. Um, she, really, she really was a standout student and she isn't the only standout student I had. I had, I had several that were remarkable and have gone on to do wonderful things. But Megan, Megan really did, uh, did have a special quality. Uh, she was very loving. She was very generous with the other actors when she was on stage. Um, and she was not only interested in theater, she was also quite a humanitarian even then. Um, she was very active in the religion department um, and she would go down on weekends and feed the homeless and, and uh, uh, do lovely works at, at convalescent homes and hospitals. Mm. So it, it is no surprise to me um, where Megan has, has come throughout all these years. Yes, she was very driven. Um, I would say she, she wanted to be a star. She wanted to be a success. Um, but there's more to it, I think. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm very concerned right now um, because I'm just hoping that all of this will, will turn out to be the right move that she and her husband have done, uh, Prince Harry. Um, I think they're an amazing couple. I respect them tremendously. And, um, and again, it was a, a wonderful experience for me to work with Megan because at that point, uh, she was living with her dad and uh, Tom volunteered. He was a, a lighting designer for one of the major uh, TV stations in Los Angeles. And when we were doing our shows at Immaculate Heart, our musicals and our, uh, and our dramatic shows, uh, Tom would do the lighting for us. And not only did he do the lighting, but he worked with the students and he taught them and he, he mentored um, the students in lighting and sound design and uh, 
And usually on weekends when we were there for hours and hours and hours, Tom would disappear and come back with a bunch of food for everybody, for the cast okay. and crew. Wow. Um, I'm sorry he's been put in such a difficult position. Yeah. Um, as I said, I have nothing but positive things to say about Megan and about Tom. And what about their relationship back then? Because millions of words in the news cycle have been spent on trying to work out what this relationship is and was. How, how was it uh, for you looking back at this relationship when well, it she was, was It was wonderful. I mean, here was a, here was a dad who, who uh, you know, would come to the, the set or the, or the school after, after work and, uh, and help. And, and Megan would, you know, be assisting him with things and, and then they would go home together. Um, their relationship was wonderful. He was a very devoted dad. I know he, he loves Megan tremendously. Um, what happened afterwards, I have no idea. I would not even, even pretend to be judgmental about anything that might have happened. Um, Tom was a very gentle person. Um, he was very kind uh, and very, very shy. Yeah. What about the, what about behind the, the camera person? Yeah. What about her sister Samantha? A lot written about uh, Samantha Markle as well. What What was your observation of the of the big sister? Um, I never met her. I never saw her. Um, she did not come to any of the shows that I was aware of. She might have. Um, I met I met uh, Tom's older son uh, several times. He came to school when we were doing the shows. Um, but I, I never met Samantha. Okay. I, I okay. don't know her at all. We're, we're nearly right out of time, but we have to touch on this. You were spotted by Megan on her wedding day. Uh, talk us through how that played out. Oh, that was such fun. I was, I was there for ITV, and uh, my daughter and I uh, got a lovely trip to London my first time there. And when the royal carriage came down the pathway, I was right up at the fence, right just about where the camera is now, and, and Megan turned and... I was carrying an Immaculate Heart pendant, and I'm sure that must have caught her eye, but she, she looked, and there was a moment of recognition, which was absolutely lovely. Uh, whether it really, really was true or not, everyone around me said, oh, Kiki, she recognized you, she knew you, and I said, I hope so. I'm here, I love her, and uh, if she saw me, I'm, I'm delighted. Uh, but it was fun. It was a wonderful experience being there for the wedding. It truly was. Terrific, Gigi. Well, we appreciate your time. We spend so much time talking about Megan on this program. It's nice to go all the way back to where it started. We enjoyed talking oh, to you this morning. Thank, thank you. you. And I would love to someday go to Australia. I'd love to work there sometime. I'm ready. Ready, willing, ready and able. Ready to go. Ready to go. Right. Well, we I'd know where to, to find you, Gigi. Um, thank you so much. Well, it's time to warm up the big red car, let Dorothy the dinosaur loose and dust off Captain Feathersword's feather sword because the Wiggles are about to hit the road. I thought that was a good intro. Dorothy on the loose. And the awesome foursome are taking the We're All Fruit Salad show right around the country. But that's not all they're not going on for 2021. The world's most popular children's entertainment group is celebrating a massive 30 years of song. Half of the Wiggles, Simon and Anthony, join us live. Hi, team. Hi. Hi. Hello. Uh, some personal news to get to you first. Uh, Simon, we haven't seen you since your bubble came into the world. I know. Ashy's three, month, three months now. What's, what's life as a as dad to a three-month-old look what like? What day is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's been amazing. We've had a, an incredible time. He's such a good little boy. He, he sleeps through the night. He does, you know, everything he's supposed to do. We're having a really, really lovely time. And we were at the footy. We went to the footy went to, to the watch footy. the Tigers at Parramatta. Ashley was there. Simon's a Parramatta fan. Yeah. And he was so calm. We were going crazy. But now he's in the headphones on. Yeah, he's a good boy. <laughs> Listen to the songs, of course. Anthony, uh, even Beautiful you boy. love having little Asher on the road with you, oh, right? This is great. We saw this photo on Instagram. Where is it? Let's have another look at that. What's life like backstage now? Because uh, Lockie has his twins. Are they on the road as well? Yeah, look, that, that was Simon. And, and look, the twins aren't on the road yet, but um, that might have been a little bit harder than the one. <laughs> yes, baby. one was. <laughs> but it's, it's brought something. We're, 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 we're about families. We're about early childhood babies, music, and, yeah, and yeah. it's just 
calms us all down, makes us grounded. You know, we, Asher was the calmest thing on the road when we were there. <laughs> <Yeah. all. laughs> if, we, if we just see that photo back of the two of you together, Anthony and Asher together, did he vomit on you shortly after no, that taking was Simon. that photo? That was Simon. Oh, that's, that's actually Simon. me. Yeah, yeah, okay. but people were saying, you're taking a risk there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's shortly yeah. the vomit comes yeah, after that. Right. Was, but they, these guys were just so calm. Uh, and you know how long it takes to, to get your baby gear packed up. Oh. And we were on the road. We're driving. We did 10 cities in New Zealand in 12 days. And wow. uh, yeah, there's Simon, Lauren and Asher just never oh, stressed. Right. No, we, we stayed pretty good. It was great. It was amazing. We're very thankful that we can do it together. It was great. And of course, the other big news, Emma just got engaged. I know. Yeah. Emma got engaged. It's, it's, it, Emma got it's engaged amazing. to Ollie, yeah. who's part of the family. So it's, there you go. When life gets more sparkly, absolutely. <laughs> and I saw Ollie yesterday and he's very happy. So you're the patriarch of this family. You've been there since day one. Like, is it, what's it like with... Is it like you're the dad that you're giving away your kids and how's this working? With oh, I don't, I don't think it's like that. But, but and I don't... <laughs> I think they look at me like the uh, the dad that's you know maybe lost it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the uncle. I really don't think anyone comes to me for advice, but it's great. I just love seeing everybody happy and and you know we're all about family. You know? And great. I always remember this uh, three-year-old birthday party we did in Bondi once, and there was this. Dad, I think it was a three-year-old. Was three? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, anyway, how old is he now? Jai. So you, you yeah, Jai. Third birthday. He's twenty. 27 years old. See, 27. Wow. Now, I've got to tell you something. This leads to a little bit of advertising, yeah. but we're doing our, our weekly arena tour. Sorry, are you using my son to launch your no, advertising? No, I'm, not, no. <laughs> I'm paralleling this story. <laughs> so, the, the 27-year-olds, the 20-year-olds voted to us, get us in a show on the Triple J called the, like a version. I've never heard of it. And we did a song called The Elephant Song. Yeah. By There's no P the in front of Triple J or Elephant, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> elephant and Triple J. Okay, so yeah. It was called The Elephant Song. Anyway, we did it. And uh, it's been this big hit. So the parents who are coming like The Elephant Song. So we're going to we're going to pay homage to the to parents by playing this song on the big show tour we're about to do. Yes. Here's the thing. We are getting inflatable elephant and a flying elephant for the kids to view. And the great thing about that inflatable elephant that walks around, no one has to clean up behind it. So it's going yeah. to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so, so we do the math, 27 and 3, that adds up to 30. But... So 30th anniversary, but you were with the Wiggles before you even put on the skiddy. That's yeah, right. I did yeah. a lot of backing vocals for the original guys oh, for quite man. a few years. Um, I used to do a lot of musicals and stuff, but then come in and out and do backing and all sorts of things. Simon was what was the rock of the early years. He did oh, the bass wow. voices that I mimed. Yeah. Anyway, we went to the studio one and day. And he's lost his voice. <laughs> yeah, totally. One day we went to the studio. We were about to do this. Uh, we're on our way to Wiggle Bay. And I said, where's Simon? They went, he's gone to Korea to do Cats. And I was devastated because <laughs> I had to do the voice. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've got to talk about we're all fruit salad, right? Tickets selling like hot, hot potatoes, of course. Uh, kids are going, adults want to go. Uh, who's going to see the shows? Because we talk about my boy when he was three and now he's 27 and I don't think he's having a baby yet, not that we know about. But the people who are the parents who are coming to your shows, were kids coming to your shows now, right? Yeah. Back in the yeah, day, that's it's right. full size. Full that's size. why we're doing that, the elephant yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and the fruit, they know all the songs from the early years. And yeah. I think for a lot of the children, a lot of the parents, it's their first show. Uh, parents, the first show they've brought a child to. Um, and also with this COVID times, this is the first time we've all been able to get out yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were at the footy the other day and it was just joyous just to be amongst people. Yeah, Were you there well. as the Wiggles or just you there? No, no, just, just, yeah, we left yeah, the skivvy at home yeah. because I get too irate about the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> Simon again. Simon is so calm. That's why his baby's calm. <laughs> the Parramatta are winning and he didn't stir me at all. Oh, <laughs> now, no, kiddies. The Wiggles never get irate. No, <laughs> they never get angry, kiddies. No, uh, great to see you guys. Congratulations so, on everything that's going on. Uh, if you would like to see the Wiggles on the We're All Fruit Salad Tour. That actually doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? But I'm getting Does it there. or not? What would you have We're called it? We're All Fruit Salad Salad tour. Um, no, it's a good name. Kylie would have gone with the inflatable elephant tour. We'll put all the ticket details over on themorningshow.com.au. I'm sure the four-year-olds can. It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. The four-year-olds. Yeah, yes. What we're going to do? Not we're going to email you a list of things we think are better than that. No. Always, okay. okay. absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's Thanks, guys. So good to see you. You too. Well, they say that rent money is dead money, but for many, purchasing a place to call their own is simply out of the question. 
Last month, property prices increased at their fastest rate in over 30 years, with Sydney and Melbourne house values rising tens of thousands of dollars in just a single month. The median cost for a Harbour City property is now $928,000. But it's not all bad news, with some financial forecasters saying renters could be better off and chasing their great Australian dream may not be the best way to get ahead. The Seven Network finance editor Gemma Acton has more on this. Hey Gemma, Morning. Australian house prices, particularly Sydney and Melbourne, are some of the most expensive property prices in the world. Can we ex expect that to remain that way, that trend to continue? The big problem we have is that very few people want to sell their houses and a lot of people want to buy. People who have houses don't want to sell because they're worried about getting back into the market if they do. People who don't own houses yet really want to get on the housing ladder, particularly as house prices run further and further away from them. Mm. That balance doesn't look to be resolving itself anytime soon. And the other big problem, of course, uh, if we want house prices to, to stabilise or come down a bit, is that with interest rates so low, we can borrow such big mortgages and keep bidding house prices up higher and higher. Yeah. Mm. What about that saying that rent money is dead money, that if you're renting that's the case? But, but some experts uh, say frustrated buyers may in fact be better off financially if they do rent. So have we, have we done the figures on that, Gemma? Well, it really depends on where you are. So uh, since the pandemic began and the borders closed, certain areas, particularly city locations, especially in Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra, were really badly hit because they were very reliant on international tourists, international students, new arrivals into the country. So we saw rents come down quite a lot in, in inner city areas. On the other hand, if you're in a regional area that suddenly became popular, we've seen rents shoot up over the last year. Mm -hmm. We've seen terrible situations where people are having to offer well above the asking price, having to offer three or six months rents in advance. So the answer to the question is it really depends on where you want to be, but certainly in some places, particularly in inner city locations, you could be, be a lot better off renting. In at least you'll get a lot more for your money renting yeah, than you're right, buying. Bang for your buck. Now, 50% of millennials said they have to look at buying on the urban fringe, meaning more than 45Ks from the CBD, for instance, um, if they want to get into the market, if they can find something they can afford that way. Is leaving major cities the new norm? Has the pandemic taught us that you don't have to be in the city anymore? Well, there are a few things going on here. Firstly, affordability is a huge problem, more mm. of a problem in city centres than further out. Uh, affordability is pretty much as bad as it's ever been in Australia. Mm. There's also a lifestyle angle. As you mentioned, more people are considering their lives thinking, hang on, do I really want to squish myself into a tiny box apartment when I could perhaps get a bit more space and land yeah further outside. Mm. Um, but thirdly, transport's getting better and better. So being mm. 45 kilometres away isn't so punishing now as it was a decade, two sure. decades, three decades ago. Mm. And transport options are improving the entire time. Yeah, and now that we're working from home four exactly. days a week. Mm. What about rent vesting? This is where you rent somewhere where you want to live. Yeah and invest somewhere where you can actually afford. Yeah. So, so maybe buy on the, on the outskirts, because that's what you can afford, but still live in the city. Um, is that a viable strategy long term? I think it's a really sensible idea. Where you need to be for a particular reason, it might be near your kid's school or it might be near your work, is not necessarily where you would want to live long term or where might be the best investment from a house price growth point of view. So if you can separate those decisions and find somewhere to rent, which suits your purposes, but then also find somewhere that you either want to move into in the future, maybe when your kids have finished school or you're no longer working in your job, or somewhere where you think there's going to be great house price growth, which is not where you live, then separating those decisions can make a lot of sense. Now, two things to be careful of, tax implications, so, so to keep that in mind if it's not your primary residence, uh, and, and also, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, we, We'll there's lots of taxes. Tax. Yeah, there, there, there's lots of stuff you've got to look at before you make that decision. There, there are. So it's a bit so, more yeah. complex. Yeah. That, so there's but... lots of pros and lots of cons in that one, right? Uh, pressure is building on the Reserve Bank to hose down this white-hot property market, right? What, what are we thinking with these interest rates? How, and this is everyone wants to know because everyone's looking to commit or overcommit, as you said. How long can we expect interest rates at this level? Well, it's not really the Reserve Bank's job to hose down the property market, unfortunately. And APRA, which is the prudential regulator, said, "Look, it's not really our job either. So nobody is really taking." So it's our job. You're on the <laughs> It's your job, Gemma. <laughs> well, yeah, so the problem is um, everyone has responsibility to make sure the system's stable, but not to watch that house prices don't go right. crazy. Right. And both the, both the RBA and APRA at the moment are saying, look, the system does seem stable to us. The Reserve Bank has made it very clear they do not intend to raise interest rates until we see wage growth move up pretty quickly, about 3% a year. Right. They don't see that happening until at least 2024. So we can expect interest rates to stay at this 0.1% level for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Okay, so therefore, the whole supply and demand, low interest rates, this, we're in this bubble it would seem for quite a while of 
what seems to be almost um, uh, 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 not being able to afford to buy a home. Yeah, and I think what we can hopefully expect to see is this rampant growth. As you mentioned, over 30 years we haven't seen this pace. Mm -hmm. That's got to slow down. We just can't maintain that pace. Every time prices go up, more and more people are priced out. Mm. So there has to come a point where that growth relents. But in terms of will prices actually stop, turn around and start falling, which would actually help a lot of people, we can't expect to see that anytime yeah. soon. Okay. Thank you, Gemma. Good Thank to talk you. to you. Right. Eric Watts has always turned it up a notch. Whether he's making his laugh on radio or taking it to the limit uh, on SAS Australia, making it through the whole gruelling course. It was incredible. But the funny man also has a very cultured side with a passion of mixing comedy and cuisine. This is taking on a delicious new role. Let's work out what all this is about, Merrick. What's Who, hello, mate? Hello. Who am I even anymore? I know, I, mean, I know. We're looking at this going, what's going on? Now, what's what you have done, what? you've made this wonderful sea change with the family. How's uh, beach living? Yes, yeah, so I, I have moved um, out of the inner west of Sydney to Maroubra, and clearly it's the talk of the town. Um, I've moved to Maroubra, which has got a reputation. You know, the Bra Boys are from Maroubra. Are they? Did not know that until after we bought the house. But, you know, <laughs> you find these things out. But I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm looking forward to it. Are you loving it? Yeah, I love it. I love Maroubra. It's a great part of the world and uh, really happy. And the family's really, really enjoying it. So, good little sea change for us. Good. So, I'm going to join Nippers. <laughs> yeah. Learn how to swim. Mears, what's harder, relocating house and living with your family over Easter or SAS Australia? Ooh. Uh, if I had taken my family on SAS Australia, that would have been the hardest challenge in the world. <laughs> not having them there was actually a bit of a blessing, I'm not going to lie. It was actually easier. Moving house is, without doubt, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Really? Oh, it's just punishing because I have to do everything. I have to do all of the lifting and all the moving because, you know, like there's an know, expectation you can't get now in the, to do in the house. That. Yeah, Larry, I'm a tight ass. I'm not right. going to pay other people to do that. I'm just going to get a mate's ute and do 180 trips. That's right. what I've done. It was worth it, right? Yeah, 100% yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, now, SAS, the, uh, the next series is coming up. Mm -hmm. what, what's your advice for the new recruits? Because you, you went really hard with that. Yeah, I went too hard. I reckon I blew a fuse. Honestly, um, I think um, a few people argue that I'd blown the fuse well yeah, before I went on that course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's true too. Uh, my advice would just be think very, very carefully how much you want to do that because it's, it's constantly um, uncomfortable. There's no rest at all. It never, ever ceases. And, it, and it's an amazing view. I'm really looking forward to seeing... There's me getting my head punched in. A lot of people enjoyed that. That rated very highly. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. spike in the ratings. A few people requested, can we see Merrick punched more often? Um, but it was... Uh, it's, I think it's a great television show. I'll be watching the next season really enthusiastically to see how people go and, and what uh, kind of yeah. limits they can push themselves to. Is Good. it much harder than you expected? Because when you watch it, you think, oh, I could do that. We're all armchair critics. Do you, do you watch that and think, I could do that? Oh, sure. <laughs> 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 I didn't. No. I remember Tarch saying that, so it doesn't even look hard. Like Mez has got his hard face on, but it's not even that hard. Yeah. No. Was it harder than you expected? Yeah, definitely. Definitely harder. What's, it's the tasks that you see, which are fantastic, they, they're really difficult, um, but it's what it is, it's just the constant cold, the constant mm. endurance of having to do stuff. You don't get a lot of food, you know, you have to kind of get by on uh, meagre rations and... You, you've really got to focus on just surviving. I mean, that's why, you know, look, there's a lot of people going, I thought that guy was a comedian. And I go, so did I. I that's exactly yeah. what I thought as well. But once you get on there, if you don't sharpen up pretty quickly, yeah. you will get very severely punished. It was tight. tremendous to watch you do that stuff. Thanks, Mike. Now, some people might not know this. Everyone knows you're a comedian, but people, a lot of people wouldn't know that you have this passion for wine. I know, because most people, uh, and you know, understandably, think I'm a massive bogan. Um, but I'm a well-dressed bogan You're today. a well-dressed bogan. You've got a kerchief going on. Yeah, Tell yeah. us about Grapes of Mirth. Okay, Grapes of Mirth is a, a great company that I started with a, a friend of mine in Adelaide where we do large-scale comedy events and wineries right around the country. It started in McLarenvale a few years ago, and it's just grown and grown and grown. And my passion around wine has been there for 20 years. I really, I love wine. This year I've just been, uh, fortunately, been made an ambassador for uh, 2021 Year of South Australian Wine. Oh. So, right. yeah, being an ambassador for wine, winning! <laughs> Live the dream, people! Live the dream! Never give up on your dreams. 20 years ago, when I was a young man, I said, one day I'm going to be an ambassador for this, and everyone and said, you're insane. I said, I'll show you just how crazy I really am. But it's also good to go and support local regions, because Absolutely. we can't fly overseas at the moment. Correct. And it's great to go and support local businesses. And I think it's a good opportunity for people to be reminded of how great the you know regional um, oh. elements of Australia are, particularly those wine regions. In South Australia, like, Barossa is stunning, McLarenvale is stunning, oh, you know, yeah, you've yeah. got lots to go and see and do, but, you know, food and wine in Australia has just gone to 
interesting European standards over the last few years. Mm -hmm. So it's a great time for people to get out and have a look at it. Hey, tell us about American Express Delicious Month Out. Okay, so I work for uh, Delicious Magazine with my friend Mike Benning. We write about and talk about wine a lot. Back to wine. Living the dream! <laughs> and um, one of the things that goes great with wine is food and uh, Delicious and American Express in the month of May are asking people to get out because of you know the restrictions that we've had over the last 12 months with people not being able to go out and enjoy food and wine. Yep. And as a result, the hospital hospi um, industry has been decimated and they're starting to get back on their feet. And this is, a, 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 I think, mm. a fantastic incentive to uh, get people to go out and, and get amongst it and go to, um, you know, anything, local Italian to, you know, some high-end restaurant, wherever it is. Spend your money, enjoy your time out and get back to some normality. Yeah. Good stuff. And what's sometimes it's good to pick a good wine for a good date. What are your top tips? Liz? Ooh, see, this is one I was thinking about before. Sometimes when you go out and you're eating rich food, Tash, you want to have a good balance, right? And uh, I, pop? yeah, well, what you, you funnily enough, you're looking for, you're looking for a balance of elements. And I'd say if you're eating something rich, what you want to do is look at it like uh, Larry's jeans in the 1980s, right? You want something with high acid content, <laughs> <laughs> short on length but a really tight finish. <laughs> that's, that's the Larry Ember of wine purchasing if you're going that to a restaurant. So you just like remember that? that. Yeah, that's just remember it. that. Just say, I'll have one Larry Ember to go, please. Can you, say, wait, can okay, you say to the waiter... A short glass of wine then. <laughs> <laughs> can you just say to the waiter, I want something that reminds me of Larry Ember's pants. <laughs> yeah, Is that exactly. what you say? Yeah, I say that We often. need to finish our meal. Yeah, they say, I say that to them and they <laughs> so say, it's probably time you go now. And I go, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Probably good stuff, enough. mate. you got a lot on. Uh, good to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me in. All the best. Thank you All the much. best to you too. <laughs> All the best, I don't know. What Whatever. about munchy wines? I'm from Munchie. What about munchy wines? They're great. Yeah, I mean, probably should have left it there. No, uh, <laughs> they're great too. And for more information about the American Express Delicious Month Out, you can head over to our website. I was saying to Tash, essentially this is why we follow the script, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, good to see you, mate. Anyway, we're it's done now. It's been great. Take really care. It. All it's the best. It's been great. Good on you. Yeah, 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 you both. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. We pray for you. Thank you. It's been great to be here. No, good to see you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, we're never surprised to hear just how hard Chloe Maxwell is working, especially when she's raising awareness for people on the autism spectrum, a job she happily took on when she began her own journey as a parent. If there's anyone who should be proud of her, it's this guy, our mate Max, son of Chloe and hubby Matt Rogers. Max is leading by example in his own way. Max Rogers and his mum, Chloe Max, will join us now. Hi, guys. Uh, Chloe, hey. first off, we need to check in. Uh, you're on the Gold Coast. Mm. The region did yes. a great job in controlling the, the recent COVID spike recently. Yes, yes, we're here. We've got masks. Maxie's got his mask. It says, not today, Rona. So yeah, we're taking every precaution. Yeah, you, you're, I think you're masking up indoors until the 15th of April in Queensland, right? We are, yeah. yes. Yeah, you're doing yes, very indeed. well. Chloe, last week was World Autism Day. Each year we speak to you about why it's important. Are you seeing improvements in the awareness? Oh, definitely. I think it's fantastic. Anyone that gets behind any sort of awareness with autism, the more it's out there, the more people can understand and uh, the more understanding, the, you know, the less we have to worry about our autistic young people. And uh, definitely something I'm passionate about and very passionate about showing off our Maxi. We let him <laughs> hang out with his autism hanging out all the time. I think it's great. <laughs> We you, encourage it. We what are you, the key of the universe. <laughs> what do you reckon about that description, Max? We, we let him hang out with his, with his autism. Autism out? <laughs> let your autism hang out? You do that every day, Yeah, I do. <laughs> and you do it very well. Chloe, you spoke at an autism awareness event earlier in the month. I mean, you described it as a resource you wish you had access to when you started your journey. Are we doing everything we can to ensure new parents are educated enough? Oh, look, I think there's there's so much more that can be done, but certainly, you know, it was, gosh, 
12 years ago now when Max was diagnosed and we've certainly come a long way with autism awareness and uh, I believe there's a lot more resources available for families that are going through a diagnosis now and yeah obviously yeah, I wish that I'd had a lot of those resources back then but I'm certainly very happy with where Max is now. One of the great things for Max over the years has been getting into the garden and we know that you've got a thriving <laughs> garden Max at home. We always love watching your YouTube videos. How's the avocado tree particularly going? Good, thanks. This is one avocado tree, isn't it? You've got two. Yes. Is this How a new... the other one? The other one is about five years old and could be almost above my height. It's, he's about six foot two, so he's got one that's that big, and this is his little baby one. It's only a year old, and he actually, uh, these both came from avocados that he ate. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And it's great that Max is contributing to the family budget, because those av avocados are yes. expensive. <laughs> they are expensive. <laughs> Glad to see you pitching in there, Max. Hey, Max. Uh, you've been just as... Oh, sorry to keep you up, Max. Um, you've been as, as busy as your mum because we hear that you're now a school leader. Tell us you about that. Can talk about that? I miss all, almost a few meetings. Oh, you've missed a few meetings. Yes. But what, what are you a leader of? Inclusion. He's an inclusion leader at yep. his school. If so. people just like me are inclusion leaders. Yeah, so he has a, he's, he's the voice for all the special needs kids in his school. They actually do a fabulous job here at Miami State High School. And, yeah, he's in the, the leadership team for middle school there, which is fabulous. It was so amazing to see that vision of you walking up on stage and getting appointed as a leader. We're all so proud of you, Max. And not just that at school. The jiu-jitsu's going well as, as well. White belt, <laughs> black stripe. Tell us about yeah. that. That sounds pretty cool. It was hard. It was hard. <laughs> well, you, you reckon you could take Daddy down now, though? You're getting pretty good. Yes. Yeah, well, you know yes. what? Thing, things that are, are worth getting in life can be hard sometimes, Max, and you're doing an awesome, awesome job. Uh, Chloe, so wonderful to, to chat with you. Is there anything more that you would like to add as, as we say goodbye? Because you, you are doing such an awesome job in this space. Yeah, obviously our charity 4ASD Kids is still helping children uh, with resources and putting them into programs across Australia. And currently we have Joe Ingalls, who's an NBA superstar, plays for the Utah Jazz, doing a uh, silent auction every day this month uh, in, in aid of Autism Awareness Month, which is fabulous. You can get behind that. Uh, the GC50 running festival's coming up here on the Gold Coast. We're a beneficiary of that. And I believe Matt's having another golf day in August. So... Uh, <laughs> You'll have to stay tuned for that one, but obviously you can catch me if you're on the Gold Coast on Good Taste Brekkie on Juice 107.3 most mornings. Oh, Every morning, actually. There you go. <laughs> we will tune in. Chloe, Max, you're a shining light. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Sherbo. Thanks, Kylie. Thank well, in a year without live music, it was a concert to remember. Held during the height of lockdown in April 2020, the virtual One World Together at Home concert featured stars from Lady Gaga to Elton John and Stevie Wonder, raising more than $160 million for frontline workers. And it was all thanks to this man, Australian Hugh Evans, and his organisation Global Citizen. So how does a small group out of Melbourne turn into an international campaign to end poverty? Even more, how did he get everyone from Beyonce to Hugh Jackman, even Oprah, involved? <laughs> Hugh Evans joins us live now from LA. Welcome to the show. Uh, good to talk to you. For years now, Global Citizen has been holding these, you know, huge outdoor fundraising events to help those in need. 2020 obviously changed all of that, but you quickly evolved, you pivoted. Tell us the story about One World uh, Together at Home concert and how it was created. Well, thank you, Larry, and thank you, Kylie, for having me on your show this morning. It's great to be with you. So right after the lockdown was declared, we received a phone call from the head of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, and he asked Global Citizen if we could mobilize our members to take action to provide personal protective equipment for frontline community health workers. And immediately, Chris Martin of Coldplay decided the next day that he was going to host a virtual concert in his living room that became One World Together at Home. And a few weeks later, Lady Gaga, an amazing um, advocate of Global Citizen and other incredible artists like Delta Goodrum joined in and it became the largest ever virtual concert. And most importantly, 
raised $127 million for frontline community health workers. Which is just awesome, Hugh. Do you literally just pick up a phone? I hear, you know, so Chris Martin gets the ball rolling maybe, but are you able to just pick up the phone and go, you know, hey, Gaga, want to join my concert? Well, if, if only it was that easy. <laughs> um, really what happened was um, Lady Gaga called a few weeks after the momentum was really building and her ma amazing manager, Bobby, and they said, you know, Lady Gaga wants to play a curatorial role and help bring everyone together. So she called artists like Elton John and she called the Rolling Stones, who agreed to be part of it. Um, Sir Paul McCartney, Delta Goodrum, Hugh Jackman. It was amazing wow. to see the momentum. And then ultimately 300 million people tuned in around the world. And I'm pleased to tell you today that 100% of the money raised has gone to support frontline community health workers all around the world. Oh, Hugh, it's, it's an awesome idea, awesome result. Uh, you got, you're talking to the best in the biz, right? And we know that on any given day, there'd be a couple of divas here and there. What's happening behind the scenes of something like this? Or does everybody at this point drop all the diva behaviour and go, yeah, I'm in, we're going to change the world with this one? Well, I actually find that people are genuinely committed to change the world. And I think the reason why is because I think there's two key ingredients. I think firstly, at Global Citizen, we have the most amazing team working behind the scenes. You know, our team of Global Citizen staff and volunteers are the best in the world. They work around the clock and I'm indebted to them and I'm proud to be part of the Global Citizen team because they are amazing. But most importantly, we have a mission and our mission is to see an end to extreme poverty by 2030 and we're not going to rest until we've achieved that goal. And I think those are the re that's the reason why people are willing to put their egos behind them and, and really mm. focus on the cause at hand. And how do the funds get distributed, Hugh? So when a global citizen takes action through the app or through the website, they call on world leaders to make commitments. So you may have seen through One World Together at Home, leaders like Tim Cook of Apple made a $10 million commitment to support frontline community health workers. but a few weeks later, when we worked with Hugh Jackman and President von der Leyen of the EU, we managed to get $1.5 billion pledged. And all of that money goes directly to the UN agencies. So the money doesn't come through Global Citizen. We hold the world leaders' feet to the fire to make sure they fulfill their pledges, whether that is to the Global Fund or to Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. We make sure the money goes directly to the cause and where it's needed most so that there isn't any money spent on administration. We want to make sure it gets straight to the people. Yeah, and you let those global leaders know too, Hugh, by the way, if they do mess up, they'll be called out on the morning show in Australia as well, 100%. <laughs> we uh, need that. <laughs> hey, you've called on Hugh Jackman, Billie Eilish, Coldplay, and many more to help launch the recovery plan for the world. You touched on it earlier. Tell us all about it because, like all of your other projects, this sounds absolutely incredible. Yeah, so recently, together with Hugh Jackman and Billie Eilish and many of our supporters, most importantly with the World Health Organization, we announced the recovery plan for the world. It's a five-point plan designed to mobilize citizens to take simple actions to achieve the policies that will help the world recover better together. The first one is obviously ending COVID-19 for all. Secondly, averting the hunger crisis globally. Thirdly, getting every child back into school. Fourth, making sure that we combat climate change and finally making sure this is an opportunity to advance equity for everyone on the planet. These are the five points that we're advancing over the next 12 months. We're going to have many opportunities, including actually where we've got a huge announcement next week about our campaign called Vax Live, which is focused on uniting the whole world for the final push to get a vaccine to every single person on this planet. Okay, it sounds amazing. Um, we'll, we'll be sure to keep an eye out for that one. Uh, Hugh, terrific work you're doing. You must be able to sleep well at night. Hugh Evans, great to catch up with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Kylie. Thank you, Larry. Oh, great stuff. Thank you, mate. Lovely to chat. Okay, picture it. The year is 2004 and The Seven Network has taken a chance on a brand new show called Dancing with the Stars. The idea was simple. Teach a bunch of celebrities the art of ballroom dancing with the best of the best taking home the Mirror Ball Trophy. Well, who'd have thought that 17 years later it would still be one of the most talked about shows in the country and this weekend, this Sunday, is no exception with a brand new format premiering. It's called Dancing with the Stars All Stars. Season 1 winner Beck Hewitt 
joins us from Melbourne. Todd McKinney is here with us in the studio. We, hello, welcome. We've got a lot to get How you through. Hey, good morning. Hi, hi. Let's start with you, Todd. Mm -hmm. I know the answer to this. We're going to ask it anyway. How much convincing did it take for you to come mm. back and be a judge? I actually rang the network and asked to say, do it again. <laughs> I was a bit quiet during COVID. And the girl's got to eat, as they say. <laughs> you, were there, you were there with your maracas, weren't you? I was there, like, yeah. instantly. Yeah. I, and as soon as I knew, everybody was coming back. All of the other judges, mm. Daryl, Sonia, and the whole retro kind of thing. I, I jumped at it, yeah. yeah. It wouldn't have been the same to say no to it. So, And we had a ball. Mm. It was a bit like Weekend at Bernie's, working with Helen again, but <laughs> it was fun. Don't say retro too much, because I was on the first season. Beck. You and I danced together way back in 2000, well, not exactly together, but on the same ballroom floor. Um, you won and I came a very, very good fourth runner-up. You um, were incredible. Can I just ask, well, let's, let's stay on that. Pauline Hanson, before we get Pauline into your Hansen dancing. Pauline beat you. She may have. Um, what do you remember about me out there on the ballroom floor? Because it's all about you. Oh, goodness. I mean, you picked up choreography really well. Oh, well, um, see. Yes, yes. Did you have a nice figure of eight action with your rumba hips? No, I had a good circle action. <laughs> and not enough to appear in the All-Stars. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Where was my call? Beck, you must get asked to do a lot of tail. There you are, Shervo. You haven't changed oh a bit. Goodness. Look at that. You look Beautiful. good in blue. Look, I love those yeah. tails. <laughs> hey, Beck, you must get asked to do a lot of TV shows. What made you say yes to this one? I just remember having an absolute blast when I did it back in 2004. So, and I love dancing, so I was so thrilled to be asked and had an absolute blast. It was such an amazing cast as well. It was like a big reunion with all my friends. She's underselling it too. Mm. Beck was extraordinary. Is she extraordinary. She hasn't, is extraordinary. She hasn't lost, lost anything. I think you've actually gained maturity. We saw a different side of, of you, Beck, this time, which was a real surprise. An oily back? She had an oily unctuousness to her. <laughs> <back>. <laughs> There's one for Scrabble players. Um, that, that's a term, right? Yes, We're not, I yeah. guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Take us through that, because some of the all-stars hadn't danced for a long, 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 long time. No. Did they take a bit of time to get into it? Uh, well, not from what we saw. I think they had a few weeks of rehearsal before we started to get to, you know, oil up the, uh, the, the joints. And, uh, like, Tom, for instance, Tom Williams, he hadn't done it for a few years, and yeah. he, of course, had that really um, iconic take-your-shirt-off moment. So there was a lot of pressure on Tom to see whether he would recreate that moment. Mm. Um, the dance that stopped the nation, they called it. It was the, the dance that stopped mm. the nation. It really was. <laughs> but, interestingly, we see a really interesting side to Tom, and I think he, he kind of reveals that that was a little bit tough on and him, having that pressure, and it's more than just a dance thing for him. Beck, uh, mum of three now, uh, the kids are all, all grown up, mostly. They've, they've been coming to cheer you on. Uh, your daughter, Mia actually sung for the audience during a break in filming. Yes, Mia is absolutely glued to her guitar and ukulele. She loves, she writes songs all the time. It's just like a little outlet for her. She's a creative soul and just loves doing that. Be so it was a nice safe space for her to perform. Becca, she normally performs in her bedroom. <laughs> I hear Cruz is very good with a tennis racket as well and those cameras are always rolling. We also found Another one of your little kids is very talented, your daughter Ava as well. I tell you what, the apple does not fall far from the tree back, Hewitt. <laughs> she, she is a mini-me, everybody says. Um, we, we look a little bit alike. But yeah, she just loves to dance, so she was super excited I was doing a dancing show. Todd, we heard uh, you mentioned the judges there before, but also Sonia Kruger is back, Sonia's and I know back. you two love working together. We do love working together, and I think she'd um, served me with a nice little Sonia Kruger backhand within the first two minutes of the <laughs> oh, show. <really? laughs> Something like you haven't changed a bit in you, 17 years? No, it was more about the, the, how you have changed. <laughs> She didn't warn me, the bugger. <laughs> anyway, I'm like, don't drag me into your opening remarks with me. But it was, so, it was, it was great because her and I have such a friendly banter and, and she's like my naughty little sister and it just yeah. felt like that again. So much of it in 10 minutes just felt like we were, had never left. Well, so. you've been li your lifelong friends with Life Yeah, lifelong friends. friends. Beck. We were. Five <laughs> former winners in the cast, including yourself. I mean, that just speaks to, I guess, the, the calibre of talent in, in this country. What was it like? I mean, at the best of times, being in Dancing with the Stars is difficult, let alone having all those winners. Yeah, the standard in this series is really high. Everyone can actually learn the choreography. Choreography, that wasn't a problem. 
but everyone is really doing a great job at performing their dances. I mean, also the production value is so much higher. Uh, it's a really, really great show, but definitely everyone's very competitive in this season. Um, you know, there's, you don't know who's going to take home the mirror ball. Yeah, but competitiveness is something you no doubt are used to in the Hewitt household. You're all singing, all dancing, mm -hmm. and Leighton, of course. That would be something that maybe you could get your head around okay or um, not? It's funny. I'm not competitive by nature. Um, I just want everyone to have a good time. <laughs> uh, but, yes, you, you just want to keep getting through um, so that you can do more dances because mm. if you get sent home, that's it. So, so we, you want to last as long as you can. I, when I was watching Beck dance, I kept wondering whether this is the beginning of the reboot of Beck on television because mm. you look so comfortable out there oh. doing it. Are we going to see her on Home and Away? or well, you know? Let, or, let's ask oh. Beck. Yeah. Oh, gosh, who knows? I mean, I would love to see what's out there for me. Um, it's funny because taking such a break for such a long time, you do feel a little bit nervous. I remember the first episode... I was in my safe space when I would practice at the studio here in Melbourne and when I stepped onto the dance floor and there were cameras, mm -hmm. I didn't expect to feel a little bit um, nervous, I guess, about going out and performing in front of people. I think by, yeah, I think it's something you get more comfortable with um, and I go, yeah, I do miss it. It, mm -hmm. was, it was really good fun and I'm so honoured to have been a part of it. Well, Beck, we cannot wait to watch you back on the ballroom mm. dance floor and, uh, and whatever else you do go on to next. Thank you so much for joining us. And, Todd, Thank you. be nice. <laughs> well, if they do Dancing with the Stars, the old stars, you guys could throw your hats in the room. The old stars. Shut up, what about that? <laughs> Seriously. Where do, you get some, where do you get some of that stuff again? B-team, C-team. Oh, dancing with the Stars, All Stars premieres this Sunday, maybe with Todd, maybe with Alfred getting cut out. Uh, I'm thinking to the edit suite now to cut you out this this Sunday night, 7 o'clock. This Sunday, 7 o'clock right here on 7. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, they are the secret assaults with very public repercussions. Just last week, Australians were shocked when a major cyber attack infiltrated federal parliament and crippled a TV network. But these were far from isolated incidents with other recent high-profile targets, including the West Australian election and one of Victoria's largest hospital operators. In fact, cyber attacks cost Australian businesses more than $140 million a year. Last year alone, there were more than 60,000 such attacks. That's one every 10 minutes. So how seriously should we be taking the risk? And is there more we can do to keep our digital space safe. Let's get some more. We're joined now by Assistant Minister for Defence, Andrew Hastie, who has responsibility for cyber security under the defence portfolio. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Take us through these cyber attacks. Is this the new normal for us, do you think? It is the new normal, Larry, and good morning to you, Kylie. Uh, Australians have witnessed massive change in the last 18 months. Firstly, we've migrated much of our lives together online because of the pandemic. So everything from work to our social lives, to the delivery of essential services, whether it be banking, shopping, or whatever else we need, um, is now online. And so we're presenting a much bigger target as a country to cyber criminals. The second big shift is in the Indo-Pacific region. There's a massive strategic realignment going on. We're seeing increased geopolitical competition between nation states, technological disruption, and what we call coercive statecraft, which has been conducted by countries in the pursuit of their national interest and that includes things like espionage, foreign interference and cyber attacks. And cyber attacks are, are, are popular because um, they're, they're low cost, they're difficult to attribute to anyone and you can do them anytime from any place. So we're a much bigger target as a country and we're seeing a lot more malicious um, activity online in, in the cyber realm. And we're seeing more and more of these attacks on businesses, media, even parliament. Are they all linked? Well, we, we can't establish a, a direct link, but there's a general trend and we need to start thinking about cyber as a battlefield. Um, it's, it can't be 
just thinking about our own security in private terms, we've also got to start thinking about our digital sovereignty as a country. So whilst Australians at home need to protect themselves, businesses need to protect themselves, we also need to think about how we do it together as a country because, as I said, we're a much bigger target now that we are living our lives online, more or less. Yeah. So if these hackers were able to invade our systems on, on this sort of national scale, what would happen? What would that look like? Well, they could attack critical infrastructure and they could cause huge disruption um, to, to our lives. For example, if they were to target the health sector or an airport or a power grid. In fact, in the Ukraine in late 2015, it's alleged that the Russian government um, hacked a Ukrainian power grid and, and shut the power off right in the height of winter. So we know what can be done uh, to harm a country. And that's why the Australian government is acting to protect ourselves with new legislation, the critical infrastructure legislation, to make sure that our critical infrastructure from data management to the financial sector to groceries to water assets is all um, protected and um, there's a heightened level of security around those key assets. So while some of these attacks are reported, Andrew, in the media, and I guess that's because they're very visible, they have no choice but to be reported, how many more are we not seeing? That, that maybe you're actually preventing? Well, Larry mentioned at the start that there were 60,000 reported to the Australian Cyber Security Centre last year. That's one every 10 minutes. Uh, but businesses alone, it's estimated, uh, lost $143 million last year from just 4,245 attacks. So that's an average of $33,000 per attack that it costs mm. Australian businesses. We don't know the full extent of this. But there are some things that we can do, and they're quite simple. And today I want to encourage your viewers to, to take action themselves. OK. And we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Mm. But to talk us through, who exactly are these people? Can it be just one person sitting in front of a computer somewhere, or is it this slick, sophisticated, organised agency sort of concept? That's a really good question, Larry. There's, there's a full spectrum from small-scale individual hackers to very sophisticated online criminal syndicates who steal your data or your personal information and then on-sell it on the dark web right through to very sophisticated state actors. And the Prime Minister last year mentioned that there is a state actor out there who is uh, persistently targeting Australian businesses, uh, our government. And uh, so, yes, there, there are a number of threats from very small mm. individuals right through to large-scale operations. OK, so clearly this isn't just something for IT managers to sort out. Uh, some crucial things people at home can do to protect their information. You alluded to it, so what are some tips for us, Andrew? Well, number one, make sure you keep uploading all the security updates, or patches as we call them, on your phone, your tablet, or your computer at home. So patch your security software often and regularly, and look out for the updates, particularly on your apps, because that's a backdoor that um, hackers can get through. Number two, make your password complex. Use a, a passphrase, rather. Uh, simple passwords like password 1234 won't suffice in this era. They have to be sophisticated passwords, so I encourage your viewers to make them more complex. And number three, use multi-factor authentication. What is multi-factor authentication, or MFA? It means that before you can log in onto your email or your bank account, you need to present two bits of evidence. Um, so, for example, you might get sent a code um, by text by your bank before you're allowed to log in to your bank account. Do business with people who use MFA or multi-factor authentication. Mm. So there are three quick things that you can do to protect yourself at home. Okay, Andrew Hesse, all very good advice. Thank you so much for the tips this morning. Thank Thanks, Marley. Thanks, Larry. Pleasure. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Well, the aftermath of COVID-19 hasn't been kind to many people, but women have been hit particularly hard. Females from all walks of life have faced income loss, financial difficulty, and as of January this year, more than 434,000 Australian women were unemployed. But help is at hand. Dress for Success is a not-for-profit volunteer-run organisation assisting women to get back on their feet, regaining economic independence, confidence and providing a much-needed support network. It's great stuff, isn't it? To tell us more, we welcome CEO of Dress for Success Sydney, Lisa Sadler, and one of their clients, Amelia Drew. Welcome, ladies. Morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, having us. Lisa, the global pandemic has really 
increase the demand for a service like Dress for Success. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. We're finding more than ever um, the need for our services are in demand. Unfortunately, women have started off um, from behind the eight ball, so to speak, um, before the pandemic hit. And, and now with this increased level of financial distress, it's, it really has hit home. Uh, we provide women a, a, tool, a suite of uh, programs that we offer, um, a whole toolkit of practical tools to help them get back into the workforce and, and really regain um, their financial independence that they're looking okay. for. Now, Amelia, what was your situation before you made your way to Dress for Success in Sydney? I was very lost. I had gotten out of a very long-term um, abusive relationship with post-traumatic stress disorder. I hadn't worked for 13 years. I was uh, in an ABO situation where I had my three small children um, full-time. And so I did the hard yards, I went to the Sorrentin skill courses, but then I still couldn't get anyone to look at my resume, interview me, anything. And it took me a little while before I found Dress for Success. And they turned my resume around, they turned my interview skills around. I had a lot of private lessons on um, how to speak corporate speak, how to get my LinkedIn profile polished, how to get my picture, my profile, everything. So they, they do more than just make you uh, look good dressed-wise mm. and speak eloquently. Mm. They, they transform my life once I found them. And, and you're a living success story, isn't, isn't yeah. she, Lisa? Um, Amelia's yeah. situation isn't unique. So how is it that you actually help women and, and the services that you provide? Yeah, as Amelia touched on, there's a range of programs that we offer. We're known for our dressing and styling, um, which is absolutely there. But the career support programs are really important. And the one-on-one -on -one coaching, we really find, actually, um, makes the, the difference. Last year, actually, 80% of our clients who came through the whole program did take that next step on their career journey. So whether it was a full-time job or re-entering um, some education training or some relevant volunteer work. And the name Dress for Success, we're looking at it there. You actually give, because many of these women don't have clothes to go to no. an interview in. That's right. So you give them we give them, to give, we give them a suitable work attire and then also once they're successful, they can come back and get a whole week's worth of clothing to help them you know, on their way. You so give them that confidence, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we do this in a safe environment. Our changing rooms, as we say, change lives and we've got mm. a whole suite of stylists to really help to build women's confidence. Talk about changing lives. Lives. Amelia, tell us your situation now. So before, it was very difficult financially, but now it's not. I have a good job. I'm um, a, a data technical business analyst at a, a good insurance company, and I'm learning a lot. And I have a secure job where I can help my children. So the help that they give is generational. I can help my mom now. I can help my three children. I can help myself. I can be independent so that I don't go into any other negative situations. So I can stand on my own two feet. So it's very powerful. It's, it's a world of care, isn't it? It's it is. It really yes. is. Yeah. It's yeah. terrific. How can people help an organisation like yours, Lisa? Yeah, well, we have lots of ways that you can help. Um, we don't, don't receive any uh, government funding and all of the services we provide for free to our women. And so fundraising is important for us. We actually have an Empower Hour campaign that we're running at the moment. Uh, we also have a Power Peace auction uh, that <laughs> actually closes tonight. So anyone who wants to put a bid on something. And we have a number of pop-up fashion sales as well that you can find on, on our website. Well, we love what you do and we think it's an amazing service. So, we have a surprise for you. Oh. We would really like to help. I'm a fashion ambassador for Harris Scarf, the department store. Fantastic. When I told them about the work that you do yeah. and the difference you make in women's lives, Harris Scarf wanted to help out as oh, well. Oh, well, thank so, you. So, they are going to give Dress for Success $5,000 worth of gift cards oh. <laughs> to go and spend so that these women can be helped and can go and shop online oh, at Kylie, that's, so, that's so website. generous thank I mean, you this is one of their dresses yeah. today and you look gorgeous <laughs> and this is like 69 dollars so here here is the sort of thing mm -hmm. that the clothes that will be able to be made available that's wonderful for thank you so much that's a complete surprise thank you yeah this is a surprise you didn't know that <laughs> we're keeping it up we're our taking sleeves it back. thank you so we think that that will figure about if an average outfit you can get for about 60 bucks yeah. and we figure that will help about 83 yeah. women no, that, that's amazing. Thank to you go so in front much. up yeah. to yeah. A, a job interview and be helped in yeah. a way that Amelia, we love your yeah. story Amelia. <laughs> Thank you. It's, Thank you. It's terrific stuff. Good on you. Thank you. Great stuff. Continue your good work. Thanks yeah. a lot. <laughs> so for more information about Dress for Success and the amazing work that they do, you can head across to our website. Well, for most people, the idea of public speaking is absolutely terrifying, often ranked as one of the biggest fears in life. And for some, cop this, it's even scarier than death. But words delivered by a powerful or orator in a confident and inspired... <laughs>
<laughs> can change lives. Professional speaker. Workplaces and even nations. Gee, I've died a few times on this show, Tash. And while most of those in power do it right, some get it oh so wrong, some of those orators. You think Peanut's got problems. Anyway, so what are the do's and don'ts of public speaking and just who said it best? For more on this, we're joined this morning by body language and voice expert, Dr Louise Marla. Louise, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. Let's start with the basics. Uh, can you help Larry? No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> beyond help, as it turns out, Louise, beyond help. Uh, public speaking, is it about how you say it or is it more about what you're saying? Oh, it's about how you say it, absolutely, every time. You know, when we're here, it's not me versus you. What it is, is engagement, and that engagement comes from the body. It comes from the vocal tone. And over and over and over, research shows that these are the critical things that you need. Uh, now, let's talk about the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, for a moment. He's been under fire lately in regards to his handling of some issues, especially in regards to women. Uh, wh what is he getting right? And, Louise, what's he getting wrong? Well... You know, I think we're witnessing the death of the uh, the baby boomer male, really. And there are a few mannerisms here that are driving me insane. The first one is that he often has his head tilted back. Now, this can be for many reasons. It can be just habit. It can be because of neck injury. But it will always be interpreted as arrogance. And this is something people don't like. And then when you add to that, actually, the mouth comes down. Mm. This says, again, it could be just habit, but it says my conversation is final. It's not debatable. And thirdly, there's a weird rhetoric. So when he spoke about getting results for Australian women, I, I think, wow, that's really weird, old-fashioned rhetoric. Then he talks about will require. Well, will it? You know, that's a bit dogmatic. And then he says uh, it will require listening, collaboration and working together. Well, I think collaboration and working together are the same thing. But anyway, he's following the rule of three. But what then doesn't work for me is at the end of phrases when he's reading, he actually looks down. So he'll say, and working together and looks down. And again, that's not connecting with your audience. These are mannerisms of disconnection. So, Louise, sticking with the Prime Minister for a moment, we've seen him get mm -hmm. quite emotional lately. Mr Morrison yeah. even mentioning his family during public speeches. Let's take a listen. I owe them everything. And to them, I say to you girls, I will not let you down. You could see he was getting quite upset there. Mm -hmm. Do you think his emotion comes across as sincere and genuine? Yes, look, I think it was sincere for his family. And, you know, I get the impression, that a cynic me, but I get the impression one of the minders has said, uh, you know, emotion, very popular at the moment, go it. Um, and so he can get very emotional about his family and that's sincere. What happened after that was he started to speak then about women and the emotion dropped. So the real emotion is for the family. But when you combine the lack of emotion for women and then making statements about a Prime Minister for women. I think this is showing a, a, a disconnection and a lack of understanding for women in general, separate from the family. OK. Now, in contrast, let's move on to someone you think is getting it right. Which political yeah. leader currently masters public speaking, do you reckon? Oh, Jacinda Ardern. You know, worldwide, everyone's saying, there's your example. Yeah, she's fabulous, isn't she? What do you think mm -hmm. makes yeah. her so great? Well, she has a structure. I've watched her a lot. And whether she's at a lectern and, and speaking, she has a strong structure. But when she's lying on her bed doing something with her iPhone, something for Facebook, she has a similar structure. She's very structured. But then she changes her style depending on the different forums. So she can be very upright. She can be very relaxed and a lot of gesturing and, oh, you know, different emotions and the voice moving. But what she does that's so fantastic that's coming back in that we're not seeing with our Australian politicians is she's actually smiling. And mm. when she smiles, she does what's called an American smile. She opens her mouth often so that you could fit two fingers ah, between the mouth. 
hi, hi, hi. Uh, she'll do this and people love it. It has messages of I'm open, I'm caring. There is no blockage to my communication. Okay, let's move on to the US now. President Joe Biden, he's getting sort of mixed reviews for his speeches. Uh, what is his body language telling us? Well, Larry, speaking is a tough game and it requires the energy of the youth and the wisdom of the older man. And unfortunately, Biden has lost his energy of youth. You know, is there anything more pathetic than seeing him running on stage? I think, oh, please don't do that. Um, he's just got that little bit too old. And I think what's what you're finding is he can manage the everyday. But when it comes to speaking, he's he's going blank. He, he's, he's losing he's losing his train of thought. Now, having said that, uh, on the weekend, he actually had a briefing where he was addressed by the media and he just stopped speaking and walked out and people said that he went blank. I, I listened to that and the question from the media was very um, confused and I think that actually he just made a choice to leave the stage. You know, he was using that wisdom. So okay. it, it's hard to see, but he is old. Louise, we've spoken about a lot of politicians who have a public platform. What are some of the tips you can give people, even something as a public speech that they may be making or a school assembly speech? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to give some tips about body and, you know, keep your mouth open and relaxed. Actually relax your head because this shows defensiveness when we jam it and keep the eyes steady, but they're softened by blinking. And I say to people, those three are nod, blink, smile like an idiot. Nod, blink, smile like an idiot. That will save your life. And keep it conversational. You know, the old rhetoric of the planet, what does that mean to us, is gone. We need to be a lot more conversational. And lastly, they say, how do you get over nerves? And the answer is, you don't. You learn how to deal with it. And how you learn to deal with it is actually moving the energy from the upper body to the lower body. The muscles of the lower body can take that strain. The upper body needs to be free. And as I said, nod, blink, smile like an idiot. <laughs> and two fingers in your mouth. Louise, lovely to talk to you as always. Bye now. Great to chat to you. Thanks for listening to the Morning Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes and bonus bits. And as always, head to themorningshow.com.au for more info on any of these stories. And we'll catch you again weekdays on 7, straight after sunrise. Bye for now.